0: Begin at the beginning, said Lewis Carroll, and go on till you come to the end, then stop. Well, I can't say I started at the actual beginning, but I've been going on for some while, and the time has come to stop. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is the last episode of The Jewish Story. The final episode, an interview with me. I'm sitting here with my dear friend, Eitan van Avraham, and I have the announcement to make. Eitan, you ready for it? I'm ready. The Jewish story is over. No. I don't mean the story itself, but as a teller, I'm stepping off of the track. And in order to kind of process a little bit and bring some closure, as we like to say, to such a momentous occasion, I've asked Eitan to join me. And as he's done in the past, to take the mic so I can sit back and be on the couch for once in this practice. So, Eitan? Just to reflect
1: a little bit of what you just said and what we said before we started recording, the Jewish story, quote-unquote, i.e. rev Mike's Jewish story is coming to a close. Your project, the Jewish story, is coming to a close. You are here now. And really, part of what this podcast is about is to enter into a sense of closure.
0: It's not even part, really. That's kind of all I can ask. Because, I mean, it's been yeah. six seasons, so to try to actually end it, which is why, for some people, this may feel abrupt, but for me, it was just the way it needs to be. <laughs> right, so, so
1: there's so many angles of penetration that we can enter into in terms of this story, but let's just start with some data, okay? Okay, so, not a bad idea. Right, so six seasons, so give, me, give that to me in a year. At what year did you start the Jewish story?
0: Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, the podcast, remember, is an outgrowth of a class that I've been teaching at this point for well more than 15 years. And it's ongoing. Jewish Story Live, moving back to hard days, you can actually be live live this year if people are interested, be in touch. But in the podcast itself, I think, is seven years ago. So that puts it at 2016, because I think that, that I've been stretching a little bit more than a year. Although I have to go back and look at the timestamps on the early recording. So you started this project
1: the jewish story in 2016 and how many like roughly how many episodes do you think you've recorded
0: they're over 200 the number 212 i think is it might be actually accurate but i i can say with confidence there are over 200 episodes from the book of daniel in a linear fashion all the way through the 1980s and then uh, for folks that have been around for this season a little bit more of a um horizon orientation pick a point and flesh it out as it were And just to sort of refresh, if there's people
1: who are just tuning in and really haven't actually listened to the podcast, why do you call it the Jewish story and not Jewish history?
0: Well, because my goal all along has been integration. You know, history isn't an organic lens for the Jewish perspective on time. It's a Greek concept, right? Herodotus, father of history. It's, you know, and uh, as we've spoken about many times, you and I personally, and it's come up on the show there is no word in the Hebrew language for history, historia. You actually study in the university here, even though you do it in Lashon HaKodesh in the Hebrew language. There's all kinds of perspectives on the past, memory being chief amongst them. But So I call it the Jewish story because I'm trying to integrate the internal Jewish narrative, the way we remember, and a critical historical perspective, bringing factuality, asking questions from the outside, and to put them together in order to do a little bit of narrative therapy for the nation shift the way we tell our story about the past
1: it's a really ambitious goal i was thinking about it like and it's good that there's over 200 episodes because if you were trying to do <laughs> this in like two episodes or 20 episodes that would be like a little bit i think underserving the project but like 200 episodes of of telling the jewish story yeah go ahead and, and, go. and the
0: funny thing is is that the first two seasons were very rushed you know i mean like Season 1 goes from uh, the Book of Daniel, so you're talking about, let's just locate it in the 5th century before the Common Era, without getting into the sikhsuch, the argument about that. And it goes from then until the expulsion from Spain, 2,000 years of history. Season 2 goes from the expulsion to 1948, so that's another 500 years, 450. Season 3 goes from 48 to 67. Four goes from 67 to 73. You see where we're going with this? So time so, is
1: being compressed.
0: I know I'm feeling it in my head right now. And so I got to the present, I said, stop. It's so, but,
1: but let's just talk about that for a second in terms of how like the first the first season covered over 2000 years and the second season also covered 2000 years. No, no, the second
0: season was about 4 or 500 years. Four,
1: so four or five hundred years. And then going into three, four, five, six, it was just like it, it went from decades almost. centuries into decades. Sure. And partly it's because we have more information to no crunch. Right? We have more more data, more historical records, more stories, more narratives, more food for Jewish story thought. To... There were no audio
0: clips yeah. slipped into my story about Alexander's appearance in the Middle East. <laughs> exactly.
1: How does it feel six years later, to have digested everything you have imbibed?
0: Well, digest is a big word. Let's just say that um, when I started this project, it was a personal personal motivation. Remembering that it began, like I said, as a class, um, as I was really quite a young teacher, uh, encountering the real educational, spiritual, moral, personal, psychological struggles of my students, and in through them, Am Israel. and I became convinced somehow that if I could just backsite, if I could tell the story from the beginning, you know what backsighting is in navigation. Sometimes, if you don't know exactly where you're headed, you've lost your line, but you know where you've been. If you can draw a line between yourself on the map and using your compass, figure out a point behind you. Well, you can extend that line forward toward where at least you're facing. And then figure out where you want to get to. So I had this sense that if I could just look backwards and tell the story up until where we are now, that it would be clear where we're headed. And, and, and thank God I was too naive to, to think about what that really meant. Because I just went back to the book of Daniel and said, okay, let's go. And you know, here we are you know, six, seven years later in the present, as always. Where
1: are we headed? Because that's actually one of the things I oh. wanted to ask.
0: And, and you know, but the, you know, this is really <laughs> a macro thing.
1: This is a macro thing because, like you said, back sighting, you did a macro back sighting for a macro front sighting, right? This yeah, well, we can't. You know, listen,
0: you ever read the um, Foundation trilogy by Isaac Asimov? A long time ago. And I, yes, a long time You should, time. by the way, reread them. And if anyone listening hasn't read them, stop now and go read those. It was fantastic. So, uh, one of the, the, the central idea is what what he calls psychohistory, right? It's this guy, Harry Seldon, and the science of data has reached a point, Asimov was quite ahead of his time, where basically you could pick up enough data from the past and figure out inevitably what's coming in the future. I'm going to get into it right now, and I've been accused of dabbling in psychohistory in my day, but my point is, is that his whole theory only applied to, like, galaxy scale questions. It wasn't something that the individual could really, um, sort of, uh fall into that type of determinism that he was speaking of. And so Mm -hmm. it had to be macro because we're people traveling through time and we've been integrated into the human story since its earliest period of self-awareness. And so therefore, to to try to do anything other than the large scale, you know, I I leave that in the hands of prophets and and God, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And even then, you know, the book of Daniel, the reason I started there for many reasons, but, but I would say in my guts, the number one reason is that Daniel's quality was the ability to read the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's right there. Everybody's looking at it. The only thing that makes Daniel different than the people around him is he can tell what it says. And so in that same sense of back I had a sense that, listen, history's right there. Again, remember the naivete. Um, mm-hmm. the history's right there. It's like, I just got to learn it, and, and we'll figure out where we're going. Well, I mean, learn many things along the way, not the least of which is that history ain't right there. Because the mass of information, the perspectives available, the, the time... That passes as you try to learn. Shifts your understanding inevitably. Nonetheless, it, the history is there. So going back to
1: that metaphor of backsighting and sort of like, okay, if I'm lost and, and, and I'm, I, I have a destination or maybe I... Well,
0: see, the, if we're going to use a metaphor, let's be precise. It's not that you're lost. You know where you are and you know where you've been. But you don't know how to get where you're headed. right? And, and because you've, lo- you've you, you, To some of you, you've lost your orientation, let's say. To locate where I am in the present. Yeah, to be backside to something where you know where you were, you know which way you're facing. Yes. Yeah. Where am I? Okay, so let me check where I'm coming
1: from. So that way I can figure out where it is that I'm going or where I want to go. At least
0: where I'm headed. And if I need right. to do a course correction, that becomes right. possible.
1: So I'm really, really curious. Isn't so one of the things I'm gathering is that like it's not so simple to do sighting with Jewish history.
0: I mean, the history in general is a bit of a fool's endeavor because this is why it's called The Jewish Story. I'm telling my story of Jewish history at the end of the day because aside from the fact that every piece of information that I absorb integrates into me, and it's mm-hmm. my perspective that gives something importance or non-importance or draws connections between two sort of fact data, there's also the, the inevitable filter fact that I read every book. Mm -hmm. every perspective every first primary document secondary no it's not possible but again i want to ask from your personal
1: perspective from your telling of the story right you have Uh digested lots of books and clips and information you have consumed i would really say
0: more than a phd level reading course (laughs) right
1: exactly so it's like it's so it's sort of like that's what i'm saying is like how does it taste and how do you how do, how do you feel now that you have digested? You know, you know how
0: it tastes? It tastes sweet. I got to tell you that um, the richness of, of human experience alone, much less the grandeur of the spiritual vision and the sense of hope that there's a reality to life beyond the very real but very individual struggles. I mean, I hate to say it. Like, I say to kids all the time. the Baruch Hu made a promise to Israel. Um, like, God made a promise to Israel. God didn't make a promise to you or me right? So, so you need to do you. And whatever you is, and you're going to try to figure it out, and I have very deep beliefs about our obligations and our commitments and moral compass and all these things. But whatever you do, don't ever fool yourself that two things aren't simultaneously true. God made a promise to Israel, and through Israel to the world, remember, but that God didn't make a promise to you. You know? Um, except insofar as we all exist, and that, that sort of gift of life is is the greatest promise. That, you know, once you the gift of life means that you have something to do in the world. That's how it tastes. It tastes sweet. How do I feel? <laughs> to be honest, I'm a little exhausted. <laughs> it's a, I, I wanted to do one last. It was perfect. It was a, In terms of the rhythm of the season I've been doing, is picking something at, in the present which is shaping the Jewish story and then back telling the story from the 80s to try to give a more round as opposed to linear perspective, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wanted to do was pivot back to American Jewry. I had a whole series. I can show you the notes. American Jewry in the 21st century. It was a great idea. But you know how I feel? I'm done. I couldn't do it. And you know what? I'd rather not do it than to do it poorly. So here we are. What are some generalizations you can make about the Jewish people based on telling the Jewish story? What patterns do you see? <sighs> you know, patterns Patterns are, are tough. You know, there's a whole question of whether history repeats itself, which it doesn't. But it definitely rhymes. And so therefore... There, there are ways in which we move as a people. Wait, unpack that. Unpack that. Nothing unpack ever repeats that. itself because, because the culture, there's a linear element to time. Culture changes, human consciousness develops, the material circumstance. Like, so it's like to say that it repeats itself is trite. But it rhymes because there's a rhythm to the way human beings relate to each other, regardless of culture, consciousness development, and material you know, context. There's some mm. elements that I think really don't change. And one of those elements is that um, Am Yisrael has a central role to play in the human story, whether we like it or not. And that that role is um, as a cultivator of consciousness. Right? And that, you know, we're in this week's part, at least here in, in the land of Israel, is, uh, is Parsha uh, Balak. Right? And the, and the great magician, necromancing, sorcerer, prophet of the nations, Bilam. Gets all the best lines in this book. Arguably, in the Torah, he gets some of the best lines, and which is why our sages said, that actually, this part was written by Moshe. We'll get into that some other day. Either way, why am I mentioning it? Because he calls Am Yisrael Am Levadad Yishkod, a people that dwells alone. And, and we've spoken about this many times in the show. I brought it up. I bring it up all the time. I bring it up now, right? Why do I mention it? Because the the rhythm that things run on is that we have to go deep within ourselves and then pour outwards. And we either do this as a conscious collective act of of service, national service, divine service, you know, we could speak about that further, and then offer the riches to the world, or we basically get forced into that circumstance by the mechanisms of history, that we get scattered throughout the world and added as an um, admixture to every culture, you know, there's basically almost nowhere you can go. Maybe parts of Asia where the Jews didn't really disperse. But aside from that, like, you, you, we, we're in the mix pretty much everywhere you go. And yet, right now, we're in a time when we're drawing back together as well. So that sense of mission, and also just, like I said, ingather, expand, In gather, expand. What patterns do
1: you see? What patterns do you see in terms of the Jewish people?
0: Oh, well, that was one pattern. Another pattern is we're constantly struggling with uh, the material and the spiritual, which is, again, a human struggle. But, but insofar as material wealth and culture flourish, it's often simply the truth that our spiritual nature takes a back seat. So I think this is a great struggle of American Jewry right now, for instance. Because American Jewry has the most incredible freedom, integration, platforming, to use the modern term, that any Jewish community has seen in history. Um, and, and yet, it pains me to say it, the spiritual generator ain't cranking it out. The level of light and motivation that connects directly, not as individuals, again, incredible, in the mix of American culture, I'd say lifting the bar for everybody, but as the Jewish people in that unique sense of cultivating consciousness, it's not happening. You know, and not, I shouldn't say it's not, that's unfair. It's not happening the way that it could. And so there's a challenge there. We see it here in Israel too, right? That, that the more that the materialism rises, the more the individualistic culture, which is the form it takes today, sort of saps a sense of Monsieur nefesh, of self sacrifice and collective endeavor that really is required
1: for, okay, for the Which like Everything to come you're around. saying is awesome, but there's a part of me that just feels the need to just. Come back and squeeze it a little more. So you have I'm that need. It's do it. fine. That's
0: why we're having this conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to do it as like a fill in the blank. Okay. Okay. One of the patterns I see about the Jewish people is
0: that we struggle between material and spiritual greatness.
1: And sp- and and but I want you to say that in a in a particular context to the Jewish people, not as like a human experience, like.
0: In this sense, we're just like everybody else, only more so. I mean, look, the, the three Western religions, so to speak, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, are all rooted in the Torah. Our job is to bring the Torah out as deeply as possible so that it affects and brings light and change, positive change, hopefully, to the world. But it's hard to do that when we're distracted or enamored of all the goodies that life can offer and, and the, the very easy and comfortable life, which, I mean, I was a child in the 80s in America. You don't get more easy and comfortable than that that we that we have available i don't know how more plainly i can say that when you said the jewish
1: people have a role to play in history whether we like it or not yes that to me is like a pattern okay that's a pattern that you've seen because it's like you have you have literally made over 200 episodes right you have you can at least on a personal level backsite. yes right so it's like, okay, so what have you seen? You've seen that the Jewish people have a role to play in world history, whether we like it or not. You've seen that we struggle with the material and the spiritual. Uh, right,
0: another one that, that to be a Jew is to swim upstream, right? That, that when, okay. when, when, when world you. culture goes one way, then our natural, I don't know if natural, but our, our mode is to go the other. And we need to embrace that. And why do you say what you, why do you say what you say? And
1: how do you see that on like a claw level throughout all the centuries?
0: That that when the whole world was being consolidated, or the whole Western world was being consolidated into the Roman Empire, we insisted on independence. When the world was dividing up into religious empires of Christianity and Islam, we refused to accept their new versions of salvation and stuck to our own. Right as the world was was now moving beyond, so to speak, uh, the, the nation state toward the global unity, we're like we're moving toward ethnic nationalism. You know, like. <laughs> There's a pattern there, as you mm-hmm. asked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily an easy one. I think of it as to be a Jew is to swim upstream.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome. one of the reasons it's hard to have a Jewish
0: state because it's like it's like herding cats. Right? Like everybody's swimming <laughs> Every, upstream. Everybody's trying to swim upstream. And it's like folks not upstream I, I, anymore. I say,
1: I say that like driving in easier, Israel is easy. You just need to understand that everybody has the right of way.
0: <laughs> that's brilliant. Like, I'm here. I'm going to quote you on that one.
1: Yeah, it's just like <laughs> who has the right of way more. Right. it's like
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's Eitan you said it so well <laughs> all yeah. right, let's move on from this pattern thing okay all
1: right another question if you could travel back in time to one chapter of the Jewish story what would it be
0: oh interesting hmm ah, I would have loved to see the Girona school you know like that, that time that the, uh, Girona was a the Girona school was like where the Ramban Nachmanides. so we're talking let's say Somewhere in like from the from it's a debate about when it begins, but let's say from like the twelfth century through the fourteenth, this is this is the school that brought the Zohar to light as a text, right? This is the school where where on one hand there was still a memory and often an experience of of rich material prosperity, right? Remember the Jews in, in Spain, even in Christian Spain in the beginning, were like landholders. They it was fairly unique. And and yet the darkness was already on the horizon. It was very clear that the Reconquista, the Christian conquest of of, uh, the Iberian Peninsula was already heavily underway and the Muslims were getting pushed back. The sort of like what we would call multicultural era of the golden age was over. And so just the richness of it that brought out such light. So I think that uh, that was the first one that came up for me. What's two more? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, I would love to see the temple standing. I mean, you, you know, even though we, we we have a tendency to poo poo the second temple, the Shekhinah wasn't there, and there's a, I mean, the, the, the to watch the glory of the Greco-Roman world revolve at a certain point around our national, you know, sanctuary would have been pretty pretty awesome. Shimon mm-hmm. Tzadik, I like the early Second Temple. Maybe see the the in their day. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, one more. One more. Uh, I'm trying to be diverse here because like, it's more fun that way. Um, gosh, there's so many. So many. I, I mean, I, I, I think that there, there is, to me, also a fascination to the early, early pioneer, um, even pre Zionists, like the students of the Gra, the Vilna Gaon, who came here to the land of Israel in the very beginning of the 19th century. And remember, the villain Ga'un was was a, was a sort of a way ahead of his time in many ways, but in the sense that he convinced his students that it was the physical redemption of the land that would lead to the spiritual redemption. And so therefore he told them they must be farmers. Now these guys were yeshiva students. Most of them didn't succeed in becoming farmers when they came here, but they came here with this beautifully naive notion that well, we must redeem the land. And I, I just think that with all the muddiness wrapped up in our national project today, to have that sort of... Purity of heart and spirit, I would love to taste that.
1: Mm, mm. Okay, so on that note who are some of the heroes that stand out in your mind in the Jewish story?
0: Well, the most important is the ones without the name. And I really have to say that, and I'm not just being trite, but I really mean it that that, um, that if you want to know what the Jewish story is, it's misirut nefesh. It's a sense of not, not just self sacrifice, which is how often, that 's often translated, nor necessarily martyrdom, which is also how it 's translated, but in a sense of literally giving over one'self to the vision the vision could be torah in a, in, a, in a narrow sense, the vision could be torah in a broad sense, it could be peoplehood, it could just be the ethnic solidarity created by the oppression of exile but but the, the, i I want to name that hero first, every Jew <laughs> who just stuck with it when when there were many times when they could have stepped off the path. Um, so that's probably more than any other. Others, I would love to meet Shmuel and Nagy, right? The great, the great uh, Rishon Torah scholar, poet, who was the only Jew that I'm aware of who ever marched as a general at the head of a Muslim army. <laughs> you know, like, come on, how cool hey. is that? Plus, I bet he had a super sense of dress style because they were they were really into like the brocaded like the look. So that's one, um, you know. I've always been fascinated by Hasidai Ashkenaz, like the early Ashkenazi mystics who, who have a sense, I mean... Is it, this pre or post Baal Shem Tov? Oh, well pre. They were the real Hasidai Ashkenaz. So you're talking so what about year like, is the is what year is that? 12th, 13th century. Maybe a little bit later. You can say truly Hasidai Ashkenaz goes 13th, 14th century, yeah. But the, they were the spiritual companions of the Tosafists, often actually the same ones. But, but why? Because... Um, it was a time of intense enchantment in Europe in general. I mean, you know, like in the Christian culture, folklore and Christianity, there was a syncretism that went very deep, right? That sort of integration of, of folklore into Christian mythology that allowed people to kind of like almost switch their gods, as it were, right? And, and to think that the Jews were immune of, to such a thing is foolish. But but um, but the Jews appeared with a much richer grasp of their own culture, meaning the Christians were relatively new converts. So they like leaned heavily toward the pagan the jews showed up with you know a thousand fifteen hundred years of torah under their belt right but nonetheless they were still in the big deep dark woods of europe <laughs> like right like, you can't argue with that so that's why the ball stemmed open a few hundred years went to the woods to find god but but they also saw all kinds of spirits and and demons and so like mm-hmm. that sense of enchantment is one of the things that to me is, is is the world is sorely in need of obviously i'm not the first to say it the um, you know, modernity, according to Max Weber, was defined by disenchantment. So, so that's one. And what one more? If I'm going to do one more, um, what you asked about heroes. Um, mm-hmm. So many. There's just so many. You're
1: so, saying that some of some of your heroes, just to just to reflect that last piece, are just the Ashkenaz mystics of the twelfth. Who were 12th.
0: able to hold the rope at both ends.
1: Mm-hmm. Who were able
0: to encounter God in every leaf and every tree.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it was intense... During a time of like the Dark Ages in...
0: It was, this, was the, this is the High Middle Ages, but whatever, yeah. Dark Ages is such so pejorative. Um, also mm-hmm. was earlier. Um, the, they were able to ro- hold the rope at both ends. They had a, a deep, intense, personal, folk, magic experience of God. Together with um, uh, all the classical tools and structures of, of Torah learning. So like, there was no abstraction. To mm-hmm. The boreolam to the creator of the world, and that's really what I missed. Last one, because we could go on forever, would be uh, Dona Gracia, the merchant queen. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but but you're talking about a woman who defied every possible convention, including going toe to toe with the Pope, right? And and was determined to serve her people, even at a time when obviously a woman of that such power evoked you know wrath and antagonism from her the people she was trying to help. Even wielded real power and gave off to her son a vision of. National Redemption, which in many ways were the first sparks of the what we call the Zionist revival. So, uh, you know, big, big, big one on the charts. Mm-hmm. All right, but there's the end, so we'll stop with that.
1: Who are some of the greatest enemies? Ooh, the villain, right? It's very important, right? Because
0: Joseph Campbell, a great scholar of of myth, uh, points out, since he was also he was also a student of Jung in, in psychoanalysis, that that the enemy really is a manifestation of of inner struggle. And we everybody knows that. That's why there's this expression that you know a person by their enemies, right? You know, one of the things that people need to know is that there are only two evil queens in Jewish history. Really, truly that we think of as our true enemies and they both have the same name. You know who they are? No. Yeah. So the evil queen of the Bible is Isabel, right? The sort of idolatrous daughter of Tyre, who marries Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and brings Baal in. She's the opponent of Eliyahu and Navi, Elijah the prophet. If people don't know, you can look it up in the with the end of the first book of Kings, second half. Second half of the first book of Kings, and the beginning of the second. And Isabella. Mm-hmm. As in Ferdinand and Isabella because the expulsion from Spain was really driven according to many, aside from the obvious, sort of like the big economic, social, was her religious fanaticism. She was the one that Torquemada really got a hold in and convinced that the material and spiritual salvation of Christendom depended on the expulsion of the Jews. Isabel mm-hmm. and Isabella. So those are, those are pretty pretty good you know, villains as far as mm-hmm. that goes. There's always Amalek, which is important. You know, when you're speaking about Am Yisrael and our enemies, it's important to remember that Amalek, you know, beyond the de- desert pagan nation that opposed us from the very beginning, um, really is the is shadow side of Am Yisrael. The sense that, that the world could be absolutely otherwise. And the great challenge to our mission, like I said, we have a historic mission. Our historic mission is the cultivation of consciousness in the belief that there's a unity of creation whose experience is available to every person and which can, in practical ways, influence our behaviors. It's not just some monk on a hilltop meditating alone, it's the way in which our bus drivers act and our presidents make their decisions and how much your plumber charges you to fix the toilet you get my point but right? we have this profound belief and i'm like says that's nonsense <laughs> you know like human beings are are sophisticated animals and uh, you know you can do whatever you want but people are you're not going to change there's no greater light coming into the world there's no ultimate unity right that so that shadow side of cynicism despair nihilism and all that comes with it, is the great villain.
1: So, so you gave me two, two historical villains, and you gave me a spiritual villain.
0: Right, who has historical roots, lest we forget. And there's a major question within even Jewish law, considering there are mitzvot, whether, conceptually speaking, Amalek is constant, you know, as an inner dynamic, or, an, or whether they actually manifest it regularly in history, and we have an obligation to actually fight them.
1: But in terms, in terms of backsighting, yeah, you know, in terms of the mountain ranges of of peaks and valleys of, of Jewish history
0: and Jewish enemies, who are some others? Our over attachment like, to the specificity of truth. You know, Jews are splitters, not lumpers. We know this. Everybody like two Jews, three opinions, and all that. All those bad jokes that true like, oh, I go to one, I don't. But we often fail to see that that's the cool of our ultimate tefilah. Right? It's, it's the corruption of one of our prime qualities. Is that that we get fixated on the specificity of truth. This is God's name. This is the way it needs to be done. I think you might have been in class when Matt Mausner, got to say a thing in the name of its you know, originator, mm-hmm. said, you know, you could reduce the entire history of the rabbinic discourse to, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, And you know, obviously he was joking, but he wasn't. And there's truth mm-hmm. in that critical mind. And we often forget mm-hmm. that, that it's about God. Mm-hmm. And, and since everything, everything, not only comes from God, but ultimately if you let yourself go, is God, and God is more Mm -hmm. than everything, then it's very dangerous to get overly fixated on the specific. Yes, real values have to have boundaries. Yes, actions demand decisions. Yes, 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 I'm not arguing with that. But, careful, you ask who our enemy is? Especially because we've been clinging to that for survival for 2,000 years. Me, not you. Me, not you. You know? And, and that's a great enemy.
1: So that's another spiritual internal enemy, but I want some more external I know enemy you
0: would, but, but 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 like I said, they, like the, mm-hmm. the external enemies in the end of the day. And then obviously there's Hitler, but that's like too easy. That's so fair, like, That's passé, right? Everybody's by the way, everybody's a Nazi today, which um, they, that brings us to another enemy, which is the the uh, the the relativism that fails to appreciate the power and importance and reality and truth in specificity.
1: Mm-hmm. that's why i want to get specific mike come on
0: well listen today i would say our number one enemy is um the i want the, names the, and addresses want names? i want his word <laughs> were, we actually have a drone waiting <laughs> to strike where he No, some
1: historical name. some historical enemies like so, some you know
0: I listen i I'm, I'm not sure because because you know listen for, for much of history, Christianity was Ferdinand, our enemy. Isabella and Isabella you know, listen, was fascinating. Wait, I mean, listen. For much of history, Christianity was our enemy. Is that true today? I think that the question lies with us. Right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, I mean, I think it could be true, but I think that if we reorient ourselves, right? Basically, in my opinion, we declare victory in our age-old argument about who was right and move on, and just relate to people as they are and not worry about whether they agree with us or not. Right, so then mm-hmm. they, I don't think they'd be our enemy anymore. Is Islam mm-hmm. our enemy? I think not at all. Um, but but are we in a political battle with the Arabs and Islam? Duh, obviously. And the specific, you know, I will also say that Palestinian nationalism, as as a, a secular nationalist movement which depends on the replacement of the Jews in our land, it's a major enemy. But it's the tip of the spear. It's it, it, it's part of a much larger vision that the Jews may not have specific manifestations, right? There's, and, and progressivism gets sucked in there in its universalist, globalist sense of, come on, man, we're looking for a world with no borders, and you folks are so hung up on your national security, right? And so, but, but are these really enemies? A lot of it, I would say, is no, is if we're able to be ourselves, root ourselves both in our lands, our identity, and our sense of power, unique at this point in history, at least for the last 2,500 years, Another enemy, the Greeks. Let's not forget them. I mean, you, you, you said Hitler, Hitler was trite, so so were the Greeks on some level. At the same time, a lot of this is that I'm naming is our old argument with the Greeks, which is their value to circumcision, right? The the the, the, breit, the specificity of relationship, right? Think about what it is. It's cutting of a boundary, right? Mm-hmm. Is that real? Did God actually say to Abraham, do this? Because that's the flip side of what I said. So we get very hung up on that specificity, but without it, we lack power, mm-hmm. and we have a mission to do. And a mission without power is just a fantasy. So, so
1: in, in terms of that mission, you know, one of your one of your quotes is, you know, that the Jewish history is narrative therapy for a nation. Well, the Jewish story. And it's is. about the Jewish story is about. Excuse me. The Jewish story is about narrative therapy for a nation, and telling a story of the past that upholds an identity in the present, equipped to build the future that we want. Yeah, that's so. The
0: that's what I'm trying to do.
1: So, 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 like, what, what, like, in terms of, in terms of and in terms of um, Jewish psychohistory, um, and in terms of of your your own self, like, where do you see yourself? And, and, and the Jewish story going.
0: So, I mean, this actually touches exactly on why I'm actually bringing this project to a close. Aside from the fact that I think it's an important skill in life to know when something's over. You know, oftentimes we have to be pushed out the door, whether it's in a job or a relationship or a project. You know, so, so you got to leave them laughing. So that, but aside from that, uh, I, I want to take a much more activist stance because I feel that we have a tremendous need for inspiration and motivation, and the tools that allow people to put their values and vision into action. And I have become convinced, having looked at 2,500 years of Jewish history in what I feel to be exhaustive detail, but obviously it's only scratched the surface, that the number one tool to do this are heroic stories. You know, if you think about it, everything that you've accomplished in your life, the things that matter to you at least, were touched along the way by heroic stories people in your life who acted in heroic ways books that you read that inspired you and let you think how things could be otherwise things that you yourself did that you say ah like you look at and say that was you this makes sense to you what I'm saying right we have an endless well not just Jewish heroes but Jewish heroism right the, the, the qualities the, the 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 tools these interesting historical moments when people have an opportunity or they're called to a heroic decision or action, right? So, so where I see us going is we need to step into our heroic mode. We live in a world which has not only become convinced, but actually has become enamored of the idea that there are only victims and perpetrators. And therefore, you know, the, the weak who, who aren't wielding power, who are victims, must be morally pure because otherwise you're a perpetrator, right? Yeah? And, and a hero is just a villain with better PR in this postmodern nihilistic world, right? But it's not true. A hero is a person who strives to use power to serve good. And you can call me naive, you could be cynical, and we could get into very important discussions about w- what does it mean to use power and what's good. Those are important. But I will still hold out, till my dying day and well beyond, that there is both good and human beings know how to wield power. And when you put the two together, you have a heroic driver for a story that can bring the world forward. And so I'm actually kind of, um, what I'm trying to do a little bit is, is shed the, the narrowness and specificity of history in order to go deeper into the story. Not that I'm leaving history behind. I, mean, I want to mine Jewish history for all of its richness, and, and that means facts matter. But I also want to fly in, in the mythic grandeur that, that the Torah and history offer, in which case I don't want to be held down by a pedantic, you know, did that really happen? And the goal really is to look toward the present and future. So this is like a, I don't know if this is an invitation to talk about the next phase or we're going to wait on that next. But of course, just because the Jewish story's over doesn't mean I'm done. We should jump into that. Spoiler alert, Rav Mike has a new project coming. This is a very important moment for me. I have finally come to the clarity of how I can best serve Am Yisrael. I don't think I had that clarity when I started the Jewish story. Because I was really more interested in figuring my own self out. Not that that fascination has ceased. But I really feel equipped at this point to make an offering to Am Israel and to the world through what I'm calling the Jewish Heroism Project. It's going to be a podcast because I do love to talk and tell stories. And it's going to be a podcast which will center on heroic Jewish stories. But at least the first season is going to make an effort to also flesh out what is heroism. Like I said, what are its tools? What are its qualities? How do we cultivate them? not just in some grandiose, either Marvel superhero or historic Ramban, but also in our daily life, right? And, and, and on, a, on a simple level, right? So I want to flesh that out. Together with some of the, let's call the mythic frameworks that the Torah really offers. And it's important to me to make clear that when I say mythic, that in no way means the opposite of the truth. This whole myth fact is a Western nonsense that I think the Jews need to move well beyond. What I'm speaking about is the truths are so big, which can't fit into the pedantic specificity of factuality. There are truths which need to be articulated in so many different ways in order to see their grandeur. And that's one of the powers of the endless heroic stories that that Jewish history provides, is that what emerges from it are central ideas, central human ideas, central specifically Jewish ideas, aspects of the Torah that I feel either haven't come to light or at least haven't been given the light that they deserve. And so it's going to be a podcast, and God willing, out of it will come a curriculum that educators, community leaders, and others can access, and really a mission about waking people up to the heroic potential within them and giving them the tools and frameworks to put it into Mm -hmm. action. The Jewish Jewish Heroism heroism project. Project,
1: and you're the most qualified person to do the Jewish heroism project because you have been mining Jewish history or the Jewish story now for over 15 years and turning into
0: podcasts for over six years. Right. Not just that, by the way, I want to say that it's important to me that this brings so many aspects of my life together, that also since I was a counselor in the woods with at-risk youth trying to help some of America's more damaged children figure out how to get a grip on their lives. You know, I have also spent quite a bit of time and energy and research into figuring out how human beings make decisions, how we take right actions, how we clarify our inner selfhood and vision in order to access motivation. In my counseling practice, right, it's been a parallel to the na- narrative therapy for the nation. I've been helping people understand their own stories and and to have agency in authoring the coming chapters. So I'm bringing both of those Together in this, with a much more clear and conscious intention. Like I said, it's not just about telling the story of Jewish heroes. It's it's unearthing the the story and tools of Jewish heroism, so that it becomes accessible not just as an inspiring tale, but as a toolbox that a person can really cultivate within themselves. So that when life calls us to heroism, be it big or small, it sounds like it sounds like just to bring it back to me
1: for a second. Sounds like what you're talking about is is helping people tap into their Aleph male.
0: Uh, In many ways, yes. And I think it's one of the reasons that you and I have always gotten along too well, aside from certain compatible personalities, is we ultimately have the same vision for people. That that there is a greatness within each of us that we often simply lack the frames to understand or the tools Mm -hmm. to access. And, and so, therefore, life gets us down because when we're presented with opportunities to take heroic strides, we haven't been trained, you know? And, and that's, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. It's just something to get to work on. So, build for me the
1: bridge between, the, and, you know, in terms, again, of this metaphor of like, of, like, knowing your past so you can have an identity in the present in order to create the future you want. In a certain sense, personally, your past is the Jewish story. And now your present, yeah, like well, your present is, is in a certain sense bringing the Jewish story to the close, to a close, but it's for the sake of a future, which is the Jewish heroism
0: project. Which I really believe will make accessible the, the inspiration, the motivation, and the insights of, you know, a 3,000, 4,000 year old tradition. And where do we head? I really believe what's the what's the point of every heroic story? Redemption. And I don't mean that in, in some trite sense of ay ay, ay mashiach, although may or right? I just mean it in the sense that there are as individuals more whole people that we could be more effective, more engaged, more inspired. As a people, as a nation, we could certainly use our power toward greater good. And as a planet, there's much work to be done in how to harmonize the very diverse and very beautiful sort of collection of beings that we have here on this spinning ball of mud right and 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 there's no better and, way to do it than and, story. and I think and just, so how does it that feel that to be
1: bringing out. the Jewish story to a close
0: so I'm sad because you know it's been a labor of love and uh, you know love also has its arc sometimes but I'm elated because I feel such a sense of clarity that I successfully backsided not for Am necessarily, knowing where we're going. But for me, in terms of where I need to head, that I have absolute clarity. And you know, there's nothing more precious than clarity because from that flows energy, focus, purpose, and, God willing, right action. So I'm ready to take that action, and I think that's probably the best note that we can end on. And I want to say that, that people should write to me, ralphmikefoyer at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook or on Twitter, The Jewish Story. And keep your ears to the pavement, people. There will be a launch coming up of the Jewish heroism project, we want to be part of it, send me your thoughts, your ideas, your requests, your, your heroic stories that you want to hear, ideas for where to go. If you want to be part of the production, right? there's a link going up very soon to raise money for the launch, because of course you know, the, you know, the, they say the gematria between um, uh, ratsui and matsui, something which is desirable, and something that actually hmm. exists, you know what the gematria is? Hmm. Kasef, money, do the math, by the way. It actually works. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. If you didn't get that, you can ask me about it later. But it's, it's a fantastic little Hebrew lesson that the difference between Ratsui and Matsui in numeric value is Keseh, right? So if people want to be part of supporting the Jewish Heroism Project, send me an email right now, and I, and I will share the links. Otherwise, just keep your eye out because it's all going to go out there. Eitan, you, of course, are going to, as always, through Vision Traction and your fantastic work, as a, not just a web designer, but as a conceptual giant of how actually to bring my ideas to the people in a way which isn't just accessible, but it's compelling. Eitan will be part of it all along. And I'm super excited. So thank you very much for taking my your time. Your brain power to squeeze me a I little bit. You. I hope you got what you were after. And as long as we're thanking people, I just want to thank all the folks who have been with me all along. Even if you picked up somewhere later along the way, Right, the story is certainly not over. And I'm not done telling it. There will be a uh, 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 digital subscription to a story in the live class coming out, so keep your eye out for that as well. But thank you. And I want to thank the Land of Israel Network. They've been amazing platform companion along the way. They're building a center for global transcendence in the heart of the Judea Mountains. you got to see it. I want to thank the Pardes Institute incredible, nurturing environment that really has helped me become who I need to be. Pardes.org.il. Check them out. They're throwing the doors of the Beit Midrash open as wide as possible. And even if this is your first time. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Mike Foyer, and that was The Jewish Story.